Michael Bennett, and welcome to episode 7 of Second Breakfast, discussing Middle-earth. Last week, we discussed the controversial topic of the Dagor Dagoroth, the final battle, as well as the overall prophecy of Mandos. If you're interested about the end times of Middle-earth and what happens to Melkor and afterwards, that's a must-listen-to episode. I'm continuing this week with a new episode that has a little bit of mystery and controversy as well, the Ents. In fact, it's not the Ents themselves that are the controversial topic, but the Ent Wives and what actually happened to them. The Lord of the Rings movies do a fairly good job at portraying the Ents, but don't, they don't really do much in the way of their history. Treebeard only touches on the disappearance of the Ent Wives in the movies, but goes into much more depth in the books. So let's dive right into it, starting with the origin of the Ents. According to the god of the universe, Eru Iluvatar's plan, there was to be only two races of sentient beings on Arda, elves and men. They were created by Iluvatar and thus named the children of Iluvatar. However, as we know, elves and men aren't alone in Middle-earth. Before the elves awoke, the Vala Aule, the smith of the Valar, was too impatient to wait for the children of Iluvatar to wake up because he wanted to teach and pass along his knowledge of crafting. Thus, he created his own beings, the dwarves, even though that overstepped his authority against Eru. Yet Eru decided to forgive Aule and adopt the dwarves as his children. The reason I bring this up is because the Ents came about in a very similar way and as a direct result of the dwarves' creation. Aule kept all of this secret from the Valar, until he told his wife Yavanna, the Valar responsible for all things that grow, as well as fruit specifically. When Aule tells her, she shares her fear of the dwarves that they will love that which their hands make above all else, just like their maker, and they will not take heed to the earth and the trees. She says, Many a tree shall feel the bite of their iron without pity. And she also feared what Melkor and his creatures might do to the growing things in Arda which she made. She goes before the lord of the Valar Manwe and tells him of her concerns. The animals of the earth can at least flee the dominion of men, elves, and Melkor's creatures, and the dwarves, though she does not mention them, since Manwe at this point did not know of the dwarves' creation. But the growing things of the earth could not flee or fight back. She mentions of all the growing things named Kelvar in Middle-earth, she holds trees dear to her. And she says, Long in the growing, swift shall they be in the felling, and unless they pay toll with fruit upon bough, little mourned in their passing. So I see in my thought, Would that the trees might speak on behalf of all things that have roots, and punish those that wrong them. To which Manwe responds, that is a strange thought. Iluvatar hears Yavanna's thoughts after first manifesting in Manwe, and speaks to Manwe, saying, Do then any of the Valor suppose that I did not hear all the song, even the least sound of the least voice? Behold, when the children awake, then the thought of Yavanna will awake also, and it will summon spirits from afar, and they will go among the Kelvar and the Olvar, and some will dwell therein, and be held in reverence, and their just anger shall be feared. Again, Kelfar here meaning the plant life, and Olvar meaning the animals. Manwe also says, In the forest shall walk the shepherds of the trees. 
Yavanna then returns to Aule, first praising Eru, and then warning Aule, saying, Now let thy children beware, for there shall walk a power in the forest whose wrath they will arouse at their peril. Thus the dwarves and ants were created, but not yet awakened until the elves, the firstborn, awakened first. It is interesting to note, before we move on from their origins, that in one of Tolkien's letters, it is said that the ants were either souls sent to inhabit trees, or souls that slowly took on the likeness of trees, which we will discuss a bit more in detail soon. It also says that the males were devoted to the Vala Orome, but the ant wives were devoted to Yavanna. The earliest piece of history we get about the ants comes probably shortly after their awakening. Treebeard tells this story to Merry and Pippin that the Eldar, meaning the elves, loved to talk to everything and thus taught the ants how to speak elvish, in his words, curing the ants of their dumbness. They also worked at developing their own language, Entish. Entish was a slowly spoken language with words and names describing the stories of that which they described. Treebeard was reluctant to tell Merry and Pippin his actual name because that would mean telling them of his whole story. And not only was that private, but that would also take a long time to say. Their language paralleled their slow and almost methodical personalities, where nothing should ever be hasty. One hasty ant was named Quickbeam, because he answered a question before it was fully asked. Our next piece of information on the ant's history is from a song Treebeard sings in the Two Towers book, called In the Willowmeads of Tassaranen. In it, he recalls his time in different forests during different seasons, most of which were in the land named Beluriand, which formed the western part of Middle-earth before it was drowned at the end of the First Age. He starts in spring, when he was among the willow meads of Tassaranen, also called Nan Tassarion. This forest was near the southwestern coast of Beluriand, which the river Syrian went through. In summer, he was in the elm woods of Assyriand, which was the eastern part of Beluriand. To Assyrians east is the Eridluin, or the Blue Mountains, and then over them is Eriador, where the Shire and Rivendell lay. In autumn, Treebeard was among the beeches, beeches in the tree, in Neldoreth, also called Tar na Neldor, which formed in the northern part of the elven realm Doriath. And finally, in winter, Treebeard comes to Dorthonian, north of Neldoreth, past the arid Gorgoroth. Yet he says in the next line, Now all those lands lie under the wave, speaking of the drowning of Beleriand, and continues in verse by singing, And I walk in Amborona, in Tauramorna, in Aldalome, in my own land, in the country of Fangorn, where the roots are long and the years lie thicker than the leaves, in Taramorna Lome. All those names refer to Fangorn Forest, which at the end of the First Age actually covered most of western Middle-earth, from the bottom of the Misty Mountains all the way up north to Arnor and west to the sea. Elrond confirms this in the Council of Elrond, when he says a squirrel could at one time carry a nut from tree to tree from what is now the Shire to Dunland, west of Isengard. But before we move on from the first stage completely, the Ents took part in one prominent event before Beleriand's doom, the Battle of the Thousand Caves. The Thousand Caves, or Menegroth, 
was the home to the elf king Thingol and the Maya Melian in Doriath. Menegroth and his elves were attacked by the dwarves of the Blue Mountains. Yet in retaliation, Baron led a host of the green elves of Assyriand, but with them came the Ents to defeat the dwarves. This is told in the Silmarillion of the Ruin of Doriath. Then Baron arose and left Tolgallon, and summoning to him Dior his son, they went north to the river Askar, and with them went many of the green elves of Assyriand. Thus it came to pass that when the dwarves of Nagrod, returning from Menegroth with diminished host, came again to Sarn-Athrad, they were assailed by unseen enemies. For as they climbed up Gelion's banks, burdened with the spoils of Doriath, suddenly all the, wood, all the woods were filled with the sound of elven horns, and shafts sped upon them from every side. There, very many of the dwarves were slain in the first onset, but some escaping from the ambush held together and fled eastward toward the mountains. And as they climbed the long slopes beneath Mount Dolmed, there came forth the shepherds of the trees, and they drove the dwarves into the shadowy woods of Arid Linden, whence it is said came never one to climb the high passes that led to their homes. So here it seems the ants fought against the dwarves of their own volition and not called upon by anyone. This is an inkling into the opposition between the children of Aule and the children of Yavanna, though of course it's not explicit in this excerpt. There is one main event that came about during the Second Age, the loss of the Entwives. And by loss, I do not mean death as Pippin mistakenly thought in the movies, and the books for that matter. And Treebeard corrected him with the great line, We lost them, and now we cannot find them. The Entwives were different from the male Ents, mainly in that they tended to gardens full of small plants, flowers, fruits and vegetables, herbs, and grasses, while the male Ents loved the trees of the forest, the wild woods, and the mountains, drinking from the mountain streams, and eating only the fruit that the trees let fall in their path. Treebeard said the Entwives had no wish to speak with the things that grew in their gardens, but instead control them wanting them to listen and obey what the Entwives said. And when the darkness came from the north, the Entwives began migrating east of Fangorn across the Anduin to work their own lands and make their wonderful gardens. This love for gardens and fruit is presumably derived from Yavanna, who herself resides in her own garden in Valinor. Just as the male ants love the woods, since Arome is a huntsman who often hunted in the forest during the days in Middle-earth before the elves even awoke. So the theory that the male ants are linked to Arome and Entwives to Yavanna seems fairly solid. But since the Entwives migrated further away, the ants saw them less and less. Treebeard named one Entwife in particular, named Fimbrithil, who was lovely and light-footed, who he knew when she was young. And many years later, during the war between Sauron and the Men of the Sea, as Treebeard calls them, meaning the Numenorians led by Elendil and Isildur, Treebeard had the desire to see Fimbrithil again. He described her still as fair, though the Entwives were bent and browned by their labors, their hair parched by the sun and their cheeks like red apples. Yet their eyes were the same. 
I will read from a page from the Two Towers when Treebeard recalls what happens when he goes to find Fimbrithil again. We crossed over Anduin and came to their land, but we found a desert. It was all burned and uprooted, for war had passed over it. But the Entwives were not there. Long we called and long we searched, and we asked all folk that we met which way the Entwives had gone. Some said that they had never seen them, and some said that they had seen them walking away west, and some said east and others south. But nowhere that we went could we find them. Our sorrow was very great. Yet the wild wood called, and we returned to it. For many years we used to go out every now and again, and look for the Entwives, walking far and wide and calling them by their beautiful names. But as time passed we went more seldom and wandered less far. And now the Entwives are only a memory for us, and our beards are long and grey. The elves made many songs concerning the search of the ants, and some of the songs passed into the tongues of men. But we made no songs about it, being content to chant their beautiful names when we thought of the Entwives. We believe that we may meet again in a time to come, and perhaps we shall find somewhere a land where we can live together and both be content. But it is foreboded that that will only be when we have both lost all that we now have. And it may well be that time is drawing near at last. For if Sauron of old destroyed the gardens, the enemy today seems likely to wither all the woods. He then sings a song the elves made about the separation of the Ents, which goes back and forth between an Ent singing and an Entwife. Each verse again revolves around a season. The Ent sings of the glory of the forest and the mountains, in each verse saying, Come back to me, come back to me. While the Entwives sing of their gardens, and in each, ver in each verse each season, saying, I'll linger here. Treebeard sings part of a verse in the movies from this song, though in the movies he says he's the one who created it. He sings the lines of the Ent in the song, When summer lies upon the world and in a noon of gold, beneath the roof of sleeping leaves the dreams of trees unfold. When the woodland halls are green and cool and wind is in the west, come back to me, come back to me, and say my land is best. Yet in the movies, he omits that first line. Let's take a listen. <clears throat> Beneath the roof of sleeping leaves and the dreams of trees fold when woodland halls are green and cool and the wind is in the west. Come back. The song ends with both the ant and the antwife singing together the lines, Together we will take the road that leads into the west, and far away we'll find a land where both our hearts may rest. Now, I will say that Tolkien himself claims he does not know what happened to the antwives. He liked keeping things as mysteries, even to himself, just like Tom Bombadil. But in a letter he said, I think that, in fact, the Elfwives have disappeared for good, being destroyed with their gardens in the War of the Last Alliance. 
So those last lines in the song were most likely for poetic effect, not a prophecy. This is supported from the fact that the elves made that song for the Ents, and the elves' main journey from when they first awoke was to journey west to Valinor and reside there. But for those of us who are romantics, it's a warming thought to think that the Entwives are still alive, and one day the Ents and the Entwives will travel west to Valinor and meet there together, where they can live in a land they both enjoy, with Yavanna and Arome with them. By the time of the War of the Ring, Fangorn Forest was reduced and cut down to the southeastern edge of the Misty Mountains. This was most likely due to a few reasons. The first being the massive Numenorean settlement after escaping Numen Numenor and settling in the northwest of Middle-earth. Second, by the War of the Last Alliance. And third, by the War of Arnor against Angmar and the Civil Wars thereafter in the Third Age. And without the Entwives for so long a time since then, the Ents' population dwindled, and those who survived grew old, whatever old means to Ents. The next great thing the Ents participate in since the loss of the Entwives is the last march of the Ents. When, after Merry and Pippin find Treebeard and an Entmoot takes place, the Ents decide to go to war against Sauron, the outcome of which we all know from the movies. In the Fourth Age, after the defeat of Sauron, King Aragorn, with Gandalf and the Hobbits and others, visit Treebeard in Isengard and find that the Ents had destroyed the circle surrounding Orthanc, and in its place there was a garden full of beautiful trees, the place now called Treegarth. Aragorn gave the valley to the Ents so that they may do what they will with it, and shared his hope that the forest may grow back to the west as it once was. Treebeard said that the trees of the forest may be, but not the Ents, because there is no more Entings. Yet Aragorn tried to keep hope, saying that the lands east, which were not accessible until now, are free to the Ents to roam in search of the Entwives, but Treebeard seemed to dismiss it without hope. However, I want to read one last passage from this part, when Treebeard is saying his farewell to Celeborn and Galadriel. Then Treebeard said farewell to each of them in turn, and he bowed three times slowly, and with great reverence to Celeborn and Galadriel. It is long, long since we met by Stalker Stone, a Vanamar Vanamalian Nostari, he said. It is sad that we should meet only thus at the ending. For the world is changing. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth, and I smell it in the air. I do not think we shall meet again. And Celeborn said, I do not know, eldest. But Galadriel said, Not in Middle-earth, nor until the lands that lie under the wave are lifted up again. Then in the Willowmeads of Tassarinen, we may meet in the spring. Farewell. That is another foreshadow to when, at the end of days when Arda is restored to its original purpose, Beluriand will be raised back from under the sea. And perhaps that is when the Ents and Entwives will meet again. Not in the west as in Valinor, but west as in Beluriand. But again, this could just be a poetic way to say farewell using Treebeard's old song. And that's all we know of the Ents' history in Middle-earth. As I said earlier, the Ents were either souls sent to inhabit trees, or souls that slowly took on the likeness of trees. So which one is it? Well, I'm inclined to believe that they were souls that took on the likeness of trees. 
and not soul embodied trees themselves. The main reason why is their anatomy. A soul inhabiting trees would simply mean just that, their physical form would not change. Yet the ants have eyes, arms and legs, hands and fingers, feet and toes, and are described as having a man-like appearance, almost troll-like figure. They were described as having a head and barely a neck. It even says, whether it was clad in stuff like green and gray bark, or whether that was its hide was difficult to say. And the ants even grew beards. I also want to mention the description of Treebeard's arms, which were not wrinkled, but covered with a brown, smooth skin. And not all of this is least behind that they have mouths and have the anatomy to speak out loud and the anatomy to eat fruit. I don't think regular trees that were inhabited by a soul would have these features, unless these souls could somehow shapeshift and transform the trees that they embodied. Not only that, but Treebeard says that Melkor made trolls in the imitation of Ents, and I don't think he modeled trolls after trees. Lastly, Treebeard also describes Ents as becoming tree-ish, and trees as becoming Entish. Ents becoming tree-ish stop moving and stay in place as a tree would, while the trees who wake up and can speak somehow are described as becoming Entish. But he says that there are those considered true ants, meaning a tree cannot become an ant and therefore an ant cannot become a tree. So tree-ish and entish seem to just be adjectives, similar to if I called a lazy person a couch potato, knowing of course that that person was not actually becoming a potato. We've learned a lot about the ants and there is more still in regards to the who ants and their influence under the ants who tended them, yet I will cover this fairly briefly. The Huorns were moving trees that the Ents had control over. Old Man Willow was presumably a Huorn. It makes sense that if Fangorn once encompassed all of Western Middle-earth, that the old forest outside the Shire was part of it, and that Old Man Willow was a Huorn that remained there. The Huorns' origins are unknown. Whether they were trees first that, um, as we just heard, became Entish, maybe also by the help of the Elves, or perhaps Ents that became Treeish. Yet they helped in the Battle of Isengard and the Battle of the Hornburg, killing all the fleeing orcs. Legolas said they were unlike any trees he had ever seen. And there we have it, the origin of the Ents, their history on Middle-earth, what they might be, and the controversy behind the Entwives. I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode in the Facebook group, specifically your thoughts on what happened to the Entwives. I guess we're going to see who the optimists and romantics are versus the pessimists. I will say that in my rationale, the Entwives were destroyed along with their gardens by Sauron, though I would rather they survive to be reunited with the Ents once more. But there is one shred of hope I can find for that which I will end this episode on. There is a forest on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Rune in the far east of Middle-earth. In an early draft of the map of Middle-earth, Tolkien had named it Neldoreth before moving Neldoreth over to Doriath, like we had discussed earlier when Treebeard sang of it in his song. But in the later maps, including the published versions now, that forest on the Sea of Rune has remained unnamed. If there is any hope in the Antwives, and foreshadowed by Aragorn's words of hope of looking east to lands since unaccessible, 
it is that the Entwives escaped Sauron's might and fled to that forest. I hope that's the case at any rate. Next week's topic will focus on the Elves, more specifically on their various strongholds in Middle-earth. The stereotype is that the Elves all lived in forests, but that's not the case, and in many ways, they lived similar to the stereotypical Dwarves. Farewell.